Good morning. Welcome to Greenville First Christian Church. I'm glad you're worshiping with us right now. If you're online, we're glad to have you as well. I need to let you know we will not have a worship service starting next week at this hour at 9.30. The two opportunities you'll have to worship are 8.30 with the traditional worship service uh, and hymns. And then at 10.30 with the full band and contemporary worship service, the online broadcast will be broadcast at 10.30. So we, we pray that you'll continue to join us on that. We also invite you to join us right here at either of those times for worship. We're excited. We've been doing the four services for about 13 months now, and it has been a joy. I thank you for being flexible, for saying we're, we're going to make a move for the sake of social distancing, for the sake of opportunity, but it is time. We have the space now to regather in those two services on Sunday, and we pray that you uh, be thinking about how you'll continue to join us uh, in person or online there at 830 or a 10.30. One of the dilemmas with the four services was uh, the elongated day. And we, we put a lot of space between those services early, especially to clean thoroughly between each service uh, during the, the high-risk times. And wh what that created, though, was a time where if you came to church at 8 and you were staying for Sunday school, there was about a 20, 30-minute gap. And then if you came to Sunday school and then stayed for 11 o'clock, there could be another 30-minute gap. You may have experienced that. It made it very difficult to, to go to church and Sunday school, especially for families. So we are tightening that up, and we're inviting you not only to church, but to Sunday school. Uh, there are, is a new class starting, I know, in uh, 218 next week at 830 on parenting. And there is literally a class for everyone. So we invite you to check that out. But there was a dilemma the last year of how can I do all these things with family. Two boys figured that out this long space a couple weeks ago. They came to 8 o'clock. And uh, they were going to go to Sunday school, and their grandparents just released them to go to Sunday school. They knew where to go. But the boy's like, hey, it's 30 minutes to Sunday school. Let's go to the park and play. So they just went over to the park over here, the J.C. Park, and they began to play on the playground. And it came time for Sunday school, and they said, hey, let's just skip. We're having so much fun. We'll just skip Sunday school. Nobody really noticed they were even gone. People didn't know that they were even here. Um, and so then uh, they were just over there playing. But sure enough, D who was just doing communion, spotted him. He spotted him over there at the playground, and he just gets right to it. He goes right to him and says, Boys, don't you want to go to heaven? And they kind of were nervous. They didn't say a word, and they just kind of stepped back. And he said again, Boys, don't you want to go to heaven? And one of the boys says, No, sir. And he goes, Boys, don't you want to go to heaven when you die? And the boy goes, Sure, when I die, I thought you were getting a group to go right now. Now, D may or may not say that that was a true story. I don't know if he'll affirm that or not. But here's what I do know is true. The reality of heaven and hell is not a joke. The reality of having eternity with God or without him is a matter of life and death. And as disciples, because Jesus is coming soon, we should be getting a group together as much as we can that are ready to go that's trusting in Jesus. Here, here's the, the, the positive thing that you know from the beginning. As disciples, if you're a disciple of Jesus now, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been given an invitation to invite others. You, we have been given a responsibility to share the hope that we have in Jesus that through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can have our sins forgiven where we can know where we're going to spend eternity. That is our invitation. That is our command to be a part of. Because the reality, without Jesus, there's going to be an eternity in hell. While those imaginary boys in that story weren't ready to go to heaven yet, so much of the world has a similar attitude. 
they have this attitude, well, God surely wouldn't ever really have everything come to an end and make people go to heaven or hell. He, he wouldn't really ever do that. He would never have a moment where uh, this will be the end of everything as we know it. And the reality is there, it's a promise that that will happen. Not because he is excited about anyone going to hell, but here's the way Peter puts it in 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter says, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. So some people say, well, he's being so slow, he's never going to do it. No, Peter's saying, hey, there is a promise that it is all going to come to an end one day. And the new heaven and the new earth are going to be made. He says, as some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. That's why we have to be truthful about the reality of Jesus' return, that he is coming soon like we just sang about. It is our responsibility to get a group together that trusts in him as soon as possible because he may return at any time. In fact, here's what Peter says in that very next verse in 2 Peter 3. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. And what he means by this is, even though I'm sharing this with you now, there is not going to be anyone that is fully prepared to see what's going to happen. Even though you're prepared and you're saved, it is going to take us by surprise in the sense that it's going to become a time when no one expects it. The heavens will disappear with a roar, it says. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. That may be the most stunning part of all this, that everything, when Christ returns, will be laid bare. There will be no more secrets. There will be no more phony stuff going on. There will be no one in the dark. Everything is going to be exposed by the light of Jesus. And Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So, so no one would have to spend an eternity without him, but everyone could have forgiveness of sins through his sacrifice, his perfect sacrifice. And if you've received his sacrifice, if you've made him Lord, if you've been saved by him, he gives us this command to go and make more disciples. If you are one, you're to be one. That's the theme of this series. Be one and make one. It comes from the Great Commission. That's what we call it. From Matthew 28. You may have this memorized. Let me share it with you again from God's word. It says in Matthew 28 verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples. So he's telling you. If you're a follower of Jesus. This is his command to you. His last thing he said. I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father. And of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That was from the New Living Translation. It may be slightly different than you've had memorized or you've heard in your heart. But I really like the way uh, the New Living Translation emphasizes some of these phrases that we're going to study today. But I want you to know the whole concept of this is really the final command of Jesus. But it should be our main focus. That's what we've got to understand. Jesus' final command should be our main focus. Uh, but oftentimes, we overlook it. Statistics actually show that only 4% of people ever really follow this command. If Jesus' final words were this, why do we live as if it's not to us? His final command should be our main focus. Yet only 4% of people ever bring someone to faith in him. That means 96% of people who follow Christ or claim to follow Christ ever lead. They never leave anyone to Christ. So what's the problem? What's the disconnect? Uh, what's the dilemma here? If so few people are actually making more disciples, well, most people would agree of this thing that they're intimidated. 
It is intimidating to think about leading someone to Christ, telling them about Jesus. What if they ask this question? I don't understand. Well, what if this happens? Uh, So much of the time we are uh, not fully engaged in his commission or his mission because we're intimidated. So here's the goal for this morning. To take some of the intimidation out of it. Whether you're a preacher or a brand new Christian, whether you grew up in the church or you just learned that Jesus saved you just weeks ago, we can become more and more engaged in fulfilling his commission, his great commission. Really, it's a co-commission. The author of Core 52 this week highlights this. This is not just our duty. This is God's mission that we get to join with him. It's our co-mission with God. So know this from the beginning. You're not alone. And we're going to look at four basic phrases that Jesus says here. To give us some encouragement, to empower us to join in. He says these four phrases that are very similar. He says first, he says, I've been given all authority. And then he talks about going to all nations. And then he says, teach them all the things I've commanded you. And then he says, I'll be with you always. And I pray that these things give you some encouragement today and empower you. Let's look back to the text and emphasize these four phrases. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples... I have been given all authority. That's one thing you can be confident of right now. While we don't know what's happening in the world, we don't really know uh, who the influencers are and really uh, what's going to take hold, we can be confident of this. Jesus has all authority. And and that should give you encouragement. It says, in heaven and on earth, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Let's consider each of these pieces today and know that it's all hands on deck. VBS is coming. One thing I always tell the staff about VBS, it takes the entire staff to get involved with that. I want you to know this, as your pastor, it takes the entire church to fulfill the Great Commission. It's not just uh, uh, the evangelism team or the mission team. It's not just the paid staff. This is an all-inclusive, all-hands-on-deck endeavor. And Jesus says, I want you to know from the beginning, the reason you can go, not because you have a, a seminary degree, not because you grew up in the church, is because I've given you authority. He says, I have all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And here's the amazing thing. He has chosen to delegate his authority to you and I to speak on his behalf. Paul says it like this. He says, he has made us his ambassadors. It's a word we don't use a lot in our American culture, but, it, but it's something that you probably have heard of before. Here's what Paul says. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So what Paul is saying, God has made us his ambassadors to go reconcile the world, to turn them back to Jesus. In government terms, an ambassador bears the authority of the government leader that authorizes them. In a spiritual term, God has authorized each of us to be his ambassadors for his sake, to implore the world to to focus on Jesus. And yet, oftentimes, we disregard that. The only authority that we really need to share the hope of Jesus with is his own. The world will try to silence us, though. It's happened the last 2,000 years, and it always will continue to happen. Uh, Don't believe just because I give you the authority from the word through God as God's given it to Jesus, and I remind you that that doesn't mean all of a sudden that everyone's going to listen. The world will actually get many of you to try to be quiet about Jesus. It happened 2,000 years ago, and it happened 2,000 years from now until Christ returns. In Acts chapter 4, we see this happening. 
Peter and John are preaching. I mean, they're bringing people to Christ. People are responding. And the government, of the Roman government, gets real nervous. And here's what they say. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them, never again speak or teach in the name of Jesus. They're like, you can do whatever you want. You can have these parties. You, you can, you can uh, uh, encourage people about religion, but do not speak about Jesus. And I love what he says. Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? It's a rhetorical question. We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen heard. We cannot talk, stop talking about that Jesus was crucified and now is risen. We can't stop talking about it. Look what happens in Acts chapter 18. It says, one night the Lord came to Paul in a vision. He says, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent for I am with you. Your authority, your ability to go into the world, even if they listen or not, even if they tell you to be quiet or not, comes directly from Jesus. So what would you rather do? Are you going to listen to God or be silenced by the world? Jesus gives us this authority. That should be enough alone. But you know another thing we need to be good at making disciples is good relationships. While the authority of Jesus is enough, what makes our message very clear to people is whenever people trust us, when, when, when we have a relationship with them. So think about right now, who is that person that you know that, that trusts you and you trust, but they don't know Jesus? That may be the very place to start. Based on the authority of Jesus and your good relationship, you can share the good news. I mean, you talk about everything else. Think about that. We talk about things we care about. So who do you need to talk to about Jesus? It's likely you talk about sports and recipes and your grandkids and even politics. Take the next step and say, hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And by God's authority and your good relationship, amazing things can happen. Think about who told you. It's very likely it was someone you trusted, someone that you had uh, some in common uh, ground with, and they began to share with you and you wanted to know more. We talk about the things we care about, so talk about him. At this point, it's not some theologically deep concept. You don't have to have some long discourse on religious rituals. Here's what you need to do. Jesus saved me. I was a mess. I was worried. I had anxiety. Uh, I, I was uh, concerned about my eternity. I didn't even know if I mattered. And then I learned that Jesus died for me and my sin so I could be saved. Now, you will say this in your own language, but begin to talk about Jesus. Make much about him. Brag about him. Lift his holy name in whatever way is natural to you, and you will make an impact. I hope that takes some of the anxiety off, some of the intimidation off. Just talk about Jesus and how much he loves you and how much he loves them. Here's another thing that gives us some anxiety or intimidation he says, go into all the nations. The nations are pretty big. There's a lot of them. If you look at the world map here, it is intimidating to think that we're to go to all these places. But I want you to know, we in and of ourselves as individuals don't have to go to all these nations ourselves. But as the body of Christ, we will go to all nations. There are currently 249 countries in the world, 194 of them being independent nations. You're like, I can't go to all of them. You don't have to. The world is, is very much right now open for evangelism through mission work, and you can be a part of that. Sure, some of you may go uh, to uh, India. You may go to Mexico. You may go uh, uh, to Guatemala. There are times when we'll go, but we need to trust that God's church as a whole will go because it's, it's too much for one person. It's intimidating for one of us on our own. Did you know there are 16,500 people groups in the world? 
16,500. That is intimidating to think that even this church would be able to go to all of them. We probably can't. But we're going to partner with other groups that make sure the word continues to go out. Of those 16,500, there are 6,700 of those people groups that have not heard about Jesus yet. That's 42% of people groups in foreign countries who haven't heard about Jesus. That is where we need to go. They've never heard the good news before. It, it seems intimidating. How will we be able to ever do that? We must continue to pair uh, and partner with other uh, mission works. That, that's why at church right now, if you go out in the hallway, you may have never known this before. We are currently partnering on a regular basis with 30 different groups. 19 of them are focused here in the United States. They may be here in Bond County, like our Christian service camp, uh, the Simple Room. It may be like one of our Christian colleges. Uh, 19 of them are throughout the entire United States. 11 of them are global missions. Uh, here's a list of these global missions. I would encourage you to stop by and read about them today if you didn't know this. We, we are a major part of these global missions. I want to thank the missions team and the elders and you as a congregation to let us have a, an impact in these missions. You need to be praying about them. There are times we even partner with them. Right before COVID, we sent a group to, uh, to Haiti. Uh, right uh, in the fall, we're going to be sending a group to Mexico. We need to be hands and feet, but here's what we miss in this. If we make it all about just going to these different nations, our own family and friends will not hear about the gospel. Here's the reality. There's people all over the world and right here in Bond County that need to know Jesus. Of the 16,500 people groups in the world, 2,445 of them who don't know Jesus are in India. This is really going to blow your mind. I didn't realize it was this, this uh, intense in India. Of the 7.5 billion people in the world, 1.3 billion of them who don't know Jesus are in India, that country alone. There are only 330 million people in the United States. 1.3 billion people have never heard of Jesus in India or trusted in him. Do we need to be partnering with him? Absolutely. Do we need to continue to go to Mexico and Haiti? For sure. But don't feel intimidated that you have to do all those things yourself. But here's the thing. According to the text, it's going to be understood that you are going. Not necessarily to India, but you'll be going somewhere. The Greek phrase from the Great Commission where it says go would have, could have properly been translated, more uh, purposely been translated. What they would have heard is, as you are going. It was understood. This was, this was not something where Jesus was saying, hey, you're sitting at home and you've got to go. No, he says, as you go through life, continue to go. It could have been read like this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations as you go, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus' emphasis was on this. As you go in life, wherever you go, make disciples. Be one and make one wherever you go, whether it's to McDonald's, whether it's to work, whether it's to the baseball game, the coffee shop, to get your hair done as you go uh, to see your neighbors across the street. As you go through life, make disciples, share the good news. The emphasis on this, going. That's the emphasis today. It's still the same emphasis. As you go through life, be making disciples. And here's what I'm very concerned about. Something happened during COVID that really stunted what's going on in the church. At first, uh, most church leaders, including myself, we were very concerned. How are we going to get people to go back to church? That's still a battle, by the way. It's not easy. Uh, we're slowly returning. If you're coming back uh, in recent, we, we, we're thankful for that. 
while it's important to gather in this church building, that is not a part of the Great Commission. The bigger part of the Great Commission that was affected by COVID was this. We just stopped going in general. Not to church, but into the world. We stopped going to work. We stopped going uh, to our friend's house. We stopped being a Christ into the world. We stopped sharing the light of Jesus because we in fear stayed home for a while. And for a time, that's what we need to do. But guys, it's time to go because Jesus says, as you go, wherever you go, share the good news. So let me ask you, have you stopped going altogether? There was a time, most of us, for, say, six weeks to two months, we hardly went anywhere. And the church was almost paralyzed by fear. And I'm not even talking about coming to church. I'm just talking about living life, where you live, where you work, where you play. How are you representing Christ? It's time to go. It's understood that Jesus says you'll be going. So get back out and go. Spend time with people. Love on them. Share with them the good news. If you've ever been around uh, one of those four percenters, one of those people that share the good news with others, they generally have three things in common. The, the a disciple who's making more disciples, here's one of the things they almost always have in common. It's just obvious they love Jesus. They, they just love Jesus. And the second thing, they're often willing to go and share with him. Uh, so it's one thing to love Jesus to stay in your house, but if you're going to make a difference, you're going to be going, as Jesus says here, as you go, you're going to be sharing about him. You're going to be witnessing for him. And the third thing that's a distant third, but I think it's still very similar in all these people, is they will be willing to invite others to share in the church they're involved in. And I'm not necessarily talking about the building. I'm talking about they're often inviting people to spend time with other Christians that they know will help build them up. And you know, we just happen to gather in this building often for Bible study and worship. So if you want to be one of those people who are really involved in, in impacting people's lives, be loving Jesus. Be willing to talk about him, and I believe be willing to share and invite them to church. That's one thing you can trust in, really. I don't tell you that to invite them to church and invite them to know other Christians because I'm the pastor here. While that is some of importance, I'm telling you this because we can trust, no matter what happens in the world, we can trust that Jesus is going to be king and the church is going to continue to live on. It may look differently than this building, but here's what the Word of God says. You can trust his church. Peter declared in Matthew 16, he says, Jesus, you're the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said this, on this rock, on that truth, that testimony, I will build my church. He's not talking about a, a building of blocks and, and, and trusses. He's talking about the body of Christ, about men and women, boys and girls coming to, to trust him with that same testimony that Jesus is Lord. He says, I'm going to build my church on this testimony and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I hope that gives you a little bit of peace today, takes away some of the, the anxiety. When we invest in God's mission, we're building something that will not be broken. We're, we're gathering something in his name that will not be overcome. The church is here to stay. The gathering of disciples of Christ to build one another up will not be overcome. Not by any power on earth. And this is going global on the web. Uh, people will say, well, aren't you afraid sometimes the government comes against the church? The government is not going to overcome the church. Satan and the, and the powers of hell will not overcome the church. Does it mean it will always look the same? Absolutely not. But do you know where the church is thriving in more than any place still to this day? is in China where the government says uh, there's no place for the church here. Guess what grows? The church. Not necessarily the buildings, but in people saying, Jesus is the Lord of my life. We can trust in that. 
Now, here's been a question for, for me as a pastor. Hey, Tyson, it's pretty obvious. Not everybody's returned to church. Have you noticed that? Guess what? I've, I've noticed. It's one of the reasons we can go back to two services, honestly. We were two services on Sunday before COVID. We can go back now. But the reality is we're still smaller than that. In fact, we're slightly above the natural average. The national average is about 60% return. We may be 70 to 75. But here's one thing we found. About a third of people haven't come back. You may say, well, are they ever going to come back? We're we're a year into this. Are they ever going to come back? Uh, may, May they stay away forever? That's possible. Something I don't like to think about, but it's very possible that some people will never get back involved within the body of Christ. Does that mean that that we have failed them? It may in some way. But what it also means, and this is what really scares me, that people who haven't found a need to come back may never have belonged to Jesus. And we may need to reach out to them even for the first time with the real love and trust in Jesus Christ. I also believe, through a new statistic that Mark Moore shared, the guy who wrote the book that we've been focused on this year, uh, since COVID, he wrote the book before COVID, since COVID he has come across this, this statistic. They've interviewed a lot of people who haven't returned to church yet, and they found that one out of every three people who haven't returned are ready to return. And guess what they're waiting on? An invitation. Not, not from the pastor, not from some email. They're waiting for someone who they believe, thought they cared about them to say, hey, we've missed you and we want you to come back with us. One out of every three people who, who are waiting to return are waiting to be invited. They're waiting to return and all they need is an invitation. So let me ask you, how can we invite better? If you're like me and you know someone you'd like to invite to church, I often wait for what I think is the perfect moment. I'm going to ask them the one time and, and then the angels are going to line up and they're going to say, oh, I thought you never asked and I'll be there next week. But you know, usually what happens, I wait for a moment I think is right and it's really not that great a moment because it's usually on Saturday night. I'll be like, hey, will you come to church on Sunday morning? They're like, yeah, we got plans. And you know what I, what I feel like, what we often hear? I don't want to come. But they didn't say that. They just said they're busy. Their their schedule may already be packed for Sunday. By the way, I just invited them Saturday afternoon. They've already made plans for Sunday. And what we hear them saying is we don't want to come. That's not true. They're just busy at that moment. So what do we need to do? We need to be more purposeful about our invitations. We need to potentially invite them, statistics say, three times before they'll actually have a space where they can come. So think about this. If one out of three people who are yet to return want to come, and it takes often three invitations, you may need to invite three people three times before you get one person actually showing up. You're like, well, that's, I don't know, them, them odds aren't very good. I think I'll just step away from that. That's a lot to invest to get one person to come to church to hear about Jesus again. How long do you wait in the line at McDonald's? In the drive-thru. Have you noticed that? Well, you for, a, for a burger or, or you know, a chicken sandwich. Guys, we can invite three people three times to make an impact for the kingdom of God. And if we're not ready to do that, we are not putting the Great Commission in a very high spot in our lives. More times than not, we will think when someone doesn't accept our first invitation, they don't want to come. That's not true. But we may need to remove some of their doubt. For example... They may not even know when church starts now. We're like, oh, we're confused. It started at 
8 and 9.30 and 11. Now, what time does it start? We're like, well, we'll just not go. So when you invite them, take some of those worries away. Say, hey, we start at 8.30 or 10.30. When, which service you like to go? I'll meet you in the foyer. By the way, you can wear whatever you got on that day. You don't have to dress a certain way. The kids, all this, all, also, here's where your kids can go. We need to take some of the questions away to have them feel comfortable. We need to do as much as we can for them to get in a position where they can fastly say yes. Here's the next all. Teach them all the commands of Jesus. That's intimidating. As a pastor, I even may feel more intimidated about that because I'm aware that if you look at all the commands of the whole word of God, the Old Testament, New Testament, there's like 600 of them, and I don't know many of them, so how am I going to teach all the commands? But that is something we really don't have to fear because here's the reality. Jesus' commands are not burdensome. They're not heavy. Jesus, in fact, consolidated much of the Old Testament, just two commands that he really wants us to be teaching. And they're this, love God and love people. He says that's really what's most important, uh, love God and love people. That's why it's our mission statement. The beginning of our mission statement is simply this, love God, love people. And then we, we added to it as we looked at Jesus' life when he was getting people's attention. When before he talked to them about God and his love, he would often serve them and meet their needs by healing them by feeding them, by, by meeting a physical need. If you want to have a spiritual impact in someone's life, live a life that loves God. Let them see you loving people, them and their families and, and the people in your community. And, and let them see you serving them and getting their lives and meet you, reach a need. And then you know what they're, wanting, they're able to hear? Something they're longing to hear? Good news. Because so much of the world is not full of good news. When someone is listening to you, they are eager to hear good news. Share with them the hope that literally changes everything. There's one more thing here that Jesus highlights about all. He says, I will be with you always. I don't know how many of you can relate to this. If you're one of the 4% that have led someone to Jesus... At the moment where you're stepping out in faith and you begin to share with them about Jesus, maybe just telling a story about how he died for them or, or how he changed your life and how he turned things around your life. At, at the moment when, when you feel like, I can't do this, there's something that happens if you're willing to take the step. God comes in and gives you often words that you never planned on saying. He lets you have conversations that make a connection. Even when you don't know what to say, he'll often lead you to have a conversation with someone like Dee or, or a person you know that, that knows more about the Word of God, and, and that people will be surprised that someone else cares about them enough to tell them about Jesus. Or here's what even happens sometimes. You should be honest say, you know, I don't know, but we'll study this together. But more times than not, the Holy Spirit will guide you to take the conversation one step for, further. And Jesus says that's coming from the fact he's always with us. The Holy Spirit is work, a part of working in our lives. Uh, it says this in Acts chapter 1. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. In Acts, when this really started to explode, the Holy Spirit came on them and they even spoke in different tongues, different languages. God is capable of doing anything to share the gospel of Jesus Christ if we would just step out in faith. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 12. Jesus says, Do not worry about how you'll defend yourself or what you'll say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. Guys, you're not doing this on your own. And you have so, such more help than 
myself as a pastor, one of the elders, while we would love to help you, you have the ability as a disciple when you are one to help make one with God's power. Here's the reality. A lot of times I think the church over the last hundred years has thought this is our great commission. We've got to carry this on our own. We can do this. We're not going to really do very good at fulfilling the great commission until we really allow God to lead us because it's his mission anyways. We're just co-missionaries with him. God's purpose on making disciples of all nations is his mission that we get to join him within. Will you join him? If you are one, would you help make one? Each one of you need to reach one. What would happen in the life of the church here locally and around the world if each disciple would make a disciple? What would happen if each of you reached one? One thing that would happen, we would go back from two services again in like a month or two and be at three or four services. And I would love that. We would send missionaries not to just 30 places, but to 60 places, to 80 places, to 120 places. And more and more people would be reached with the glory of God. And more and more people would come to testify to Jesus as their Savior and the world would be changed. I believe one of the key things that is pushing off the return of Christ is that every nation needs to hear about Jesus. There, there, there is testi- testimony in Scripture that once every nation hears that his ability to return will be wide open. And we can be a part of that. Who will you invite? Who will you share the hope of Jesus Christ with? It's your commission. It comes from the words of Jesus. If it's his last command, why aren't we most focused on that? Next Sunday, who will you invite? I want to remind you that we'll be meeting at 8.30 and 10.30. And I promise the gospel, the good news of Jesus, will be shared. That God sent his son, and he died for us as sinners to save us, to give us life forever with him. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father in heaven, help us to be people that are your disciples and we help make more disciples. Let us trust in the fact that you have been given authority that you've shared with us. That we're to go go to all people that you'll be with us always and we're to be teach them everything you've said. Father, if someone is here today then they've been, they've been taught by a friend, maybe they've learned through your word and they want to give their life to you, I pray that they would respond and, and make Jesus their Lord. Lord, if someone's here for the first time and they're confused and just wants to talk to someone or pray, I pray they would move. Lord, put in our hearts a holy, a holy heartburn like Dee talked about that would lead us to invite one, to, to share with one to change their life for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.